Well, if you would this morning, take your Bible, turn to Joshua 22. What a great day to be able to celebrate uh, Father's Day. I always love those occasions where uh, you remember those moments where, especially when your kids were little and they wrote you those small, little, childlike cards. And occasionally I'll pull out a different Bible and I will be thumbing through it. And all of a sudden the other day, one of those cards was in my Bible from when my children was younger. And it said something simple like, you are the best dad ever. I think they clearly didn't know what they were talking about at that moment in the young point of their life. Uh, as they grow older now, they're thinking, you're the best dad ever, except with a few caveats that I have to put underneath it. Uh, but what a, what a great thing to be able to recognize the value and importance of fatherhood and the ministry of fathers in their home. It also gives us a sense of an appreciation and awe as well when we think about our Heavenly Father and how our goal is to model our uh, being a father after Him and uh, what a delight it is to be uh, together as a body to celebrate this together. I, I always love those particular moments when you're watching the news and they, they give these uh, snapshots of these small stories of a, of a father who was called to a military deployment and he had been separated from his family for a number of months on a deployment and they're doing a camera because everyone else doesn't know that he's home and he's surprising them and all of a sudden you, you perhaps have seen one of these he walks around the corner uh, and all of a sudden the family the children just erupt uh, in excitement and hugs uh, because they are so excited to see their father. You can only imagine in Joshua 22 as we have now arrived at this portion in scripture where the eastern tribes uh, are now heading back home after a military deployment. They're, they had mustered all the men together, and you can remember the story. They wanted the land on the eastern side of the promised land, but now the land had been divided. Joshua had dispersed it to the 12 tribes, and I can only imagine what, a, what a excitement it was for these men to say, all right, you've fulfilled your commitment. It's time for you to head home. And your home isn't here. Your home is on the east side of the Jordan. And now you can go back and you can find rest because you did all the things that God had called you to do. What a sobering reality and an exciting perspective in their heart, not only for the ones going home, but the ones receiving them uh, to come home. And that's where we find ourselves in Joshua 22 with the eastern tribes returning to, to their home on the east side of the Jordan. Well, the other tribes remained on the west side of the Jordan. Now, when all throughout the book of Joshua, we, had, we have faintly seen in a distance this reality of the overarching theme, which is rest, homegoing, wanting to return to an environment where there was peace, rest, tranquility, enjoyment of not war, but the things that are the basic things of life. I can only imagine for these for these individuals who had been out on a military deployment, how, how much enjoyment it was for them all of a sudden to even do something as simple as, I'm going to go work out in my field. I just love being out and working my field. It was a depiction and reality that this, this, this turmoil and war and fighting of the Canaanites was now coming to a conclusion and God was going to give them rest. It is a call to you and I to remember this theme all throughout as we journey through Joshua, that our home isn't here. Our home is someplace far better. A place where we will experience rest, a place where we will experience tranquility. But that it really matters how we live the lives we live here today. We can't for one moment think, I'm just going to be so heavenly minded that I don't become any earthly good. We have to be heavenly minded in such a way that we do the best we possibly can for the glory of God uh, in the midst of this earthly journey. Now, uh, as we think about this together and carry 
uh, this theme of going home, there is this reality that we have to remember that the text is going to bring out before us today, that it matters what we do here. While we're on our way heading to the home where this place is not our citizenship, and it's this, this is our main idea for this morning, that a believer's outward conduct reveals their inward focus. A believer's outward conduct reveals their inward focus. Now, perhaps you have gone to the biblical uh, counseling and community class, or you have been thinking about uh, growing in your sanctification. This is the reality of what sets apart the biblical sanctification than any other secular model that you could experience. So often in secular therapies and in all of these different ways in which people try to help people, the focus is so often on the outward, and that doesn't mean that there aren't challenges on the outward, but the forgetting of what's going on on the inside, the motives of the heart, the reality that what you do on the outside just reveals to everyone else and gives them a glimpse for a moment of what is going on on the inside. It is the inside that produces what comes out on the outside. If we pay so much attention to a level of behavior modification, then we will just be Christians in name only, but completely heartless in motivation. And it is the call as the eastern tribes went home that Joshua would remind them of, of this reality in their outward conduct that reveals their inward focus. Now, let's look for a moment as we continue on. Uh, let's look at these first uh, few verses in Joshua chapter 22 because Joshua sees fit to recall and remind them of the very important ideas that he started the book with, but he's constantly reminding all throughout the book. And here's something that I think you really want to remember as a student of the Bible, as an interpreter of the Bible, is when you see a theme reiterated over and over and over and over again, you shouldn't get tired of hearing it. You should rea realize that, wait a minute, I got to remember this. And that's exactly what he was calling the, these eastern tribes to do. Joshua 22, the very first verses, follow along with me if you will. It says, at that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but you have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given you rest, has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so Joshua blessed them and he sent them away and they went to their tents. He starts with this really important reminder. And you see it in the very first part of this. He says to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. All right, you've fulfilled everything you've been, that God called you to do. And now, just as I promised you, I want you to go back and find the same rest that your brothers are now experiencing. Now, having long departed from their families, tents have been raised, families, children have grown older. They are now returning, and he says, but before you go, there's this simple reminder that I really want to impress upon your heart. And, and, it's, and it's here in Joshua 22, 5, that I want to park for a moment. And we're going to walk through these fairly quickly, but I think this particular charge in Joshua 2 is really the highlight or the crux of this particular paragraph. Notice he's this. He says this in verse 5. He says, and now only be very careful. Okay? There's something about, hey, be careful. It's like, if you're going outside to play to your kids, hey, be careful of the cars on the street. It's like, no, they're going to go out there and say, be very careful for what is out there. You could get run over. He is highlighting this imperative 
in the Hebrew language to help us and help these individuals reinforce this reality. Only be very careful what you're about to pursue because you're not going to be amongst your comrades. You're not going to be amongst the group that you fought in battle with. You're not going to be with these other ten tribes. You're going to be on the eastern side of the Jordan. And there will be three of you together. And you must stand together and be careful to do all the things that God has called them to do. And he follows this imperative. And, and I think this is really important. It would be even, even mindful as you're going back to this text. Circle the imperative. Be very careful. Now he highlights it with five different infinitives to describe what this means, uh, this command means to be careful. And here's the first one. He says, you've got to be careful to observe. Well, what are they observing? He says, they need to be careful to pay attention to observe the very truths of God that come in the very revelation of God, the commandments and the laws of the Lord. Don't just think, Eastern tribes, Joshua is saying, that just because you're over there and Jerusalem and, and, or in Shiloh's over here in the tabernacle, that you can somehow drift into doing whatever you want because you're on the Eastern side and the Lord won't find out about it. He will know. And he says, be careful to observe this. And I think it's also imperative that we recognize this. That in that reality, he says, these are the things which the Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. It was God's commands to, he says, observe God's commands, even when they come through an individual that God has selected to write it down. See, it's so important to say, for us to realize that God choose, chose different people like Moses and he chose different people to author the Bible. And we can't say, well, these are just men. So we don't really have to follow. These guys are just people. They're just writing down some historical perspective so that we can get a, uh, an understanding of what's going on. He says, no, be careful to observe the commands and the Lord and the spokesperson as long as they are guiding you to the commands and the laws of the Lord. This observation is one, if you would describe it, this is a careful precision on following exactly what he calls you to do. Remember when you were younger, and if you were anything like me, you wanted to be an artist, but you, could, you didn't have the artistic abilities, so you liked to draw, and you got one of those how-to-draw books, and I can remember looking back, and my mom would watch, uh, would open the pages of that when I tried to draw a dog, but it looked like a giraffe. And you, and you, and finally, you know, I spent hours and hours as a young person trying to figure out, like, that doesn't really quite match what I was looking at in the German Shepherd. Uh, uh, it just doesn't look the same. And so I kind of gave it up and I decided to go to the tracing thing where you just followed the dots. It was so much easier. I got such a better, clearer picture. That is the careful precision when you're teaching to your children, even when you say, color within the lines, be really careful to stay within the lines. That is the kind of observation he's describing. Be so cautious, Christian, to stay within the boundary markers that God has set before you. Don't think that you can just go ahead and make marks anywhere you want and God will be okay with that. This careful observation is what he calls them to be careful about. Be very careful to observe these truths. He moves on and says, be careful to love. This is not just a overwhelming, this is not a feeling oriented. Hey, and just remind yourself, he's not saying this, remind yourself, like, love, you know, just have this feeling of love towards God. See, our culture has, in a sense, distorted a little bit of this concept of love. And the love that he's describing here is this reality of a love that, that, that re results in loyalty. That your love is so intense for the Lord that you're so mindful to be careful to observe and to love with a sense of loyalty. I must not go outside the lines. I must be careful about what I do because it is the Lord that I serve. It is to him that I will answer. And I love him. He's done everything for me. He says, don't 
Don't forget to observe, to love, and to walk. This is everything to do about your conduct. Reminiscent very likely of the way that we come in the Pauline epistles later on in Ephesians and Colossians. Where we recognize this Pauline statement of where Paul often says, Walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Christians, these are very fitting to our realities to be very careful. And I would even call on today as you men, you fathers who are out there, to challenge yourself to look at this list and ask yourself, am I being a father who is careful to help my children and my family observe, to love, to walk in the ways of God? Will they look back at your life and say, you know what, if I knew a few things about my dad, I knew that he observed what the Lord had to say. I saw him reading the Bible. I knew that he loved God. He was walking an example. He was a walking example before me. This conduct. Let me remind you, this is why this is so critical for us. Because your outward conduct reveals an inner heart attitude. When we are thinking to ourselves and even asking some of the basic questions that often comes to our lives when we, when we struggle and we fall short, we can go back to these and ask ourselves these kinds of heart questions. What is going on in my heart where I am not observing and paying careful attention? What is occupying my observation? Is it the things of the world? Is it things that I long for, relationships I desire? What is it that is, that is causing you to take your observance and bring it off the Lord and put it on to something else? I'll tell you what, when you're struggling and you're thinking, why, how did I get to where I am? This is a very valuable question of the heart to ask. What have I been observing? Because whatever it is I've been observing hasn't produced the kind of walk and conduct and life and inner heart attitude. I better take some time to think about that. And what does that reveal about my love and my loyalty to God? Am I playing fast and loose with it? Oh, I love him today or, well, I'll try to love him better tomorrow. And I hope that's the case. But is there a consistency to this loyalty? Is your, is your result then a walk that is a conduct that other believers around you can see and say, you know what, that's what's right. And they go to the scriptures and, and your life is marked by that. Observance and love and walk. And he says to this in verse, and he continues in verse five with another, uh, another infinitive to describe this. To walk, he says, and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. I mean, just think about this word for a moment, clinging. I mean, you know when we, when we, we often grab hold of the Lord and we cling to him? It's through trials. You know when we forget to cling to him? It's when everything seems to go in really well. But this reality of clinging, uh, in a sense, is trying to depict or convey this reality to hold firm onto this so strongly that you will not let it go. In fact, it's the same terminology in Genesis 2, 24, when it says uh, a man and a woman will leave their father and mother and they will cleave to one another. Same term. It's the same reality that when we get to the book of Ruth and all of a sudden it says that the daughters, when, when their husbands had died, they clung to her and didn't want to leave her. This is the way that we must look at being careful to observe God's commands. We must cling to them. You cannot cling to what you are not familiar with or you don't know about. Which is why a careful reading and observation of the word leads you to a heart that desires to say, I've got to grab this truth and hold on to it. This is where your hope and my hope will be. Cling to the hope, the rest, and all the things that God desires for us with a strong grip. Fathers, don't all of a sudden in, the, in this earthly journey as you lead your home, all of a sudden say, well... I guess to your family, I guess everybody just do what's right in your own eyes. Dad, you are going to have to say to your children, 
things that they're not going to be happy to hear. You're going to have to confront at different times because their heart, just like yours, just like mine, is so often veering away from the things that we ought to observe. That's down to every detail of their life. Young people who are coming under the Father's authority, he's doing this because he loves you. The Father gives these commands because he loves us to keep us out of harm's way for ex from experiencing things that you would otherwise not have to experience. Cling to them. Cling to the truths of the Lord. Christian brothers and sisters, I pray that the reason that you are here is to continue to acquire more and more truths from God's word so that you go away from here clinging to them. Because there is nothing more transformative, more hope-giving than the truths of God's word in your life as you practice them. Cling to the word. Then he says to serve. This is trying to convey this reality that your inner heart attitude doesn't just stay on the inside. It's supposed to work itself out. People are supposed to see that you're a Christian. They're supposed to see that you're different than the world. They're supposed to see that you talk different, dress different, father different, mother different, grandparent different. Deal with grief different. Deal with trials different. Deal with illnesses different. There is a way that all this inner heart carefulness to observe, to love with a loyalty, with conduct, clinging to the word in a way that I get to the end of it and go, let's get this done. Believers, you've got one life. That's it. Just one. And it's really short. What are you doing with it? This doesn't mean you have to run and join a missions team or go into ministry. It means you have to be a loyal follower of Jesus Christ today and to the days to come, no matter where he calls you, when he calls you, or how he calls you, and where he tells you to go. You have got to do it with all your might. I don't wonder if you're a lot like me, where I get to that component and I think, I, I'm supposed to work hard. And then I look at certain portions of my life, even over the last month, and I say to myself, what are you doing? You're not working hard enough. See, but this is also a, a double-edged sword because sometimes we think, oh, you know what? If I just work, 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 and I do, do, do all the things he tells me to do, then naturally then I should love. You can do and I can do all the things that Jesus tells us to do on the outside, but, be a, but being stubborn on the inside. You can be here this morning because somebody drug you here. And somebody forced you to have to go. And there might even be people here this morning who are here because they feel like they have no other choice. And they're saying to themselves, oh, wait until I get my opportunity, I am not doing this again. This careful observation is not about your work. Works follow your faith. They don't make your faith. It is so unfortunate in so many realities of the theological spectrum in denominations. And I grew up largely under a, a very, uh, a very uh, Roman Catholicism and Lutheranism where there's high octane emphasis on doing good works, doing the things that God tells you to do and checking off all of the various things. And so many friends of mine would talk to me about the various levels of the, sacra uh, the sacraments that they would have to observe in order to prove that they were a good Christian that they would be saved. Christian, I am here to tell you that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who follows after God. The Romans 3 says, all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who seeks God. You don't wake up, no one wakes up in one morning and says, you know what, today I'm going to do it. You don't save you. But there better be works going along with your faith. Otherwise, I'm going to 
every Christian brother and sister would look at you and say what James said. Show me your works. Show me, I'll show you my faith by my works. I don't do my works to be saved. I do the works because I'm so thankful of what he's done for me that I could never do for myself. Christian, don't get some, to some point where all of a sudden, where all of a, you think that Christian growth is, is an intellectual exercise. That if you just know, 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 that somehow you'll be, be, be what God wants you to be. You have got to serve him with all your heart, with every fiber of your being. That's why he says, with all your heart and all your soul. He's saying, with every part of you, with every faculty that you have. And I get it. Like, I hear that and I think, whew, like, how am I going to do that? I can't do that alone. The only way that I can even come close to doing any, to do anything good at all is because I have the Spirit of God by faith and repentance who has now indwelt my life and now He helps me do the things I could never do on my own. You'd never want to read the Bible. I so often hear in, in points of witnessing to people various components. People say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm ever really going to enjoy reading the Bible. And you know, as a Christian, you're kind of thinking like, just Wait. Because when he changes you from the inside out, all of a sudden, something happens in you. Doesn't it? You remember that? You might have even gone to church for years and years, and all of a sudden, he changed you. He illuminated your mind to see what you could only see when the Spirit of God took hold of you and drew you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you had this strange feeling when you woke up the next morning, like, I think I should get to know God through the pages of his scripture. And all of a sudden, a week went by and you started reading the Bible and you said to somebody, I'm doing some stuff I never thought I'd be doing. I was reading my Bible. Get that. That's weird, isn't it? To a Christian, they're like, come on, you're just beginning. You are gonna find so many good things there. Believers, the crux of this particular passage in Joshua 22 was this charge to the Eastern tribes to be careful. And I think it's a dual charge, even as we look back and understand that these principles are equally applicable to us. Are we observing, loving, walking, and clinging, and serving the Lord? Well, this is a fitting start to what the author describes because he moves right into this concept because there's going to be a concern in the passage. And I think, I think it's really neat when you begin to understand how the author lays out this perspective because in the first nine verses, he gives this huge charge to say, be careful, be careful, be careful. And then he gives us this situation that there's, there's a concern going on because the concern is, is that they're not being careful. And now this whole entire story is laid out. And let me summarize it for you. I'm not going to read every, uh, uh, the whole uh, totality of this section, but I want you to, let's start in verse 10. It says, When they had came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it, said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, have built the altar uh, on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Okay? Now, remember this. Okay? They're at Shiloh. Why would they gather at Shiloh? Because the ark is there. The tent of meeting is there. They're, 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 they're coming and they're saying, Lord, what would, should we do? Word comes to the western tribes. Now they have gone, the eastern tribes are going. Now just before they get across the Jordan, they built an altar of imposing size that was almost a mere image of the altar that was at Shiloh. And the first natural inclination of the question and assumption of the western tribes was, they're not careful. They're not being careful to observe, to love, and bring loyalty. And it only took them as far as they could get to the Jordan, and they're already going astray. What are they doing? 
The whole assembly of Israel, get this, the whole assembly of Israel at Shiloh says, we thought we were done with war. We're done with the war of the Canaanites. Now we're going to have to go and destroy our own brothers because they don't do what God has told them to do. Now what a, what a reality to this story. The first section is laid out to say, be careful. And then all of a sudden, the this, this story leads to, I don't think they're being careful. And there's this concern that comes before them. And here's what the concern was. They're, they're, they're erecting a rival worship center. Now the people on the eastern side of the Jordan are not going to come to Shiloh the way God has called them to do. They're going to stop here and worship and give sacrifices. So they have to come over to this altar and they're going to practice something else. They're really concerned. This says something about the way that, that we understand the people viewed the holiness of God. All of a sudden they said, no, no, we worship here. God gave us an altar. He told us to do it here in these ways, in this careful observation. And now you're doing this? They're saying there ought to be no compromise. And there was no matter, no situation, even if you were an Israelite. It didn't matter your nationality. Even if you were amongst God's people, if you didn't do what God had called you to do, this was terrible. And he gives, us, he gives a couple of serious reminders. And you, if you follow this text, he gives, you, he gives them two reminders. So here's what they do. They say, you know what? This is what seems to be going on. We've got to talk to the Eastern tribes. So they send Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the high priest. They gather 10 of the leaders of the tribe and they send them over to the Eastern tribes. And they come to this area where they had built this altar and they, they, just, they say to him, how why have you had this breach of faith? You can see, even in the text, he'll use this phrase, and he's, he's really drawing out the question, is this a breach of faith? Are you doing this as a rival worship center? How dare you do this? Is that what's going on? And he goes into this uh, teaching diatribe all of a sudden, and he says, don't you remember what happened eight years ago to the people of Israel at Baal of Peor when all of a sudden... We yoked ourselves together with idol worshipers and God struck a number of us down amongst the whole congregation. Don't you remember that? And he says, don't you remember Achan? When he took of the devoted things and he hid them inside the tent and no one else, all of a sudden, his whole family was destroyed. You remember that story? He says, don't get so far that you think that, that you're untouchable. And now here's the real big concern. Would the sin of the eastern tribes stay in the east? Or would it impact those on the west? Well, the Israelites knew that when the tribes collectively did not obey, that the whole congregation of Israel was, was affected by this reality. Here's what it tells us. Holiness matters as a believer. I love what Francis Schaeffer says in a book dealing with the conquest. He says, the holiness of God, the holiness of the God who exists demands that there be no compromise in the area of truth. He says, tears, I'm sure that there were tears, thinking, what are they doing? But there had to be a battle if there was rebellion against God. Holiness was so important to the life of Israel, that major consequences could happen when people didn't follow the Lord. What does that mean? It means this. Sin is serious, brothers and sisters. It's so serious, by the way, that even if one of us as members of the chapel think that we're going to live a life of sin and then everyone should be okay with that, we shouldn't be okay with that. Sin is so serious that it doesn't just impact one person. In fact, I would argue that oftentimes when we think about these circumstances in our life, when we think about the seriousness of sin, sin will always promise more than it can deliver. Sin will always cost you more than you anticipate. And it will always have a greater impact on your life and the life of others around you. 
Don't think for one moment somehow you can just sin in the quietness of your own life, in your own arena where no one else can see, and you think, well, this shouldn't affect anybody. No, it affects your walk and your relationship with God, but it affects your your relationship with other people. Because here's what I often find, and I bet you find this too. When you are caught in sin and you are living a double life, do you want to be with people? No, you retreat in isolation. You don't go into the body. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to read your Bible. It's hard for you to pray. Why? Because sin's roots would go so deep that all of a sudden, when you didn't take it serious enough, it's bearing all kinds of sinful fruit. Sin is a serious reality to people who still struggle with the flesh. Every single one of us. And holiness matters before the Lord. You and I ought to be checking our hearts to make sure that we're taking sin seriously. This is not something to play fast and loose with. Not something to say, as so many times I've heard young people in the past, well, you know, I'll just... I'll just shore up that whole holiness routine later on. But I want to have fun right now. I'm telling you, you will look back at that momentary enjoyment of earthly things and you will be ashamed of yourself that you didn't love with the kind of loyalty that you knew you should have had. Sin is a serious deal in the life of of Israel and no one was exempt and I think that simply we could, we could practically apply this to the reality in our lives, believers. In the church age, as we are committing and covenanting together as a body of Christ, it matters. Our, our pursuit of holiness here in the context of community ought to matter to you. It ought to matter whether you do family worship. It ought to matter to you whether you're, you're striving after personal holiness. It ought to matter to you whether there's events where you can get together with other ladies and other men. It ought to matter to you whether not you are, are willing to serve in a variety of capacities. It ought to matter because if all of a sudden you just do the things that you want to do whenever you want them to, whenever you want to do them, here's what will happen. You won't, you'll say to yourself, well, I just don't have any time left. And you will convince yourself that living for yourself and living for the world is somehow more satisfying than living for God. I always appreciate in various components of the prophet when the Israelites were in exile because they disobeyed and continually disobeyed the Lord that you get statements like this in Hosea 11 where he says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called and the more they went away, they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took up their arms, but they, not, they did not even know that I had healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws and I bent down to them and I fed them. In the midst of their sin and idolatry, you have a father in heaven who is so serious about sin that the wrath of God is coming to destroy sin in this world. People will often say, well, why didn't God stop it in in Garden of Eden? He's got a plan to stop it. But if you don't deal with repentance and faith, you will be destroyed. And you will be at a place for eternity, in eternal damnation, away separate from God. But it is this God of kindness. That that holiness matters and that sin is so serious. But his grace is available. In fact, sin can always be turned away from. If you're here this morning and you're caught up in sin and you're living a double life in hypocrisy and no one even knows it but you and the Lord, guess what? You can turn back to him. And by his grace, don't you love this Ephesians 2, 8, 9? For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. That is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of the works, so that no one may boast. 
Turn from your sin. If you're here this morning and and you've never turned to Jesus Christ by repentance and faith, today is the day to do that. Turn from your sin. Welcome him into your life. Ask him for forgiveness and you will experience his grace. And it won't be because of something you did. It's because of something he did for you. Our sin has been paid for by a gracious redeemer, Jesus Christ. This constant reminder should never be something that we look in the scriptures on and say, well, I've had enough of that. No, rest in it. Remind yourself of it. Jesus did this for you. This is is why Romans 5 says, but the free gift is not like the trespass in verse 15. For if, if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You can have the righteousness of Christ. That's mind-blowing. That he can look at your life and my life and as he views me from heaven because of my, because of my repentance and faith in him, I don't deserve to be looked on as if I'm righteous. He looks on Jesus' righteousness. Oh, and I tell you, Christian, I am so glad he does because he knows what's underneath it. He knows that that righteousness that was paid for by Jesus Christ's blood was there because we needed it. The Father offers this salvation through the Son by the power of the Spirit. You never stop living a life that's dependent on God. And that is the crux of the charge to the Eastern tribes. Don't ever forget that you're always and forever going to be dependent on him. And that if you sin, it's going to affect all of us, not just you. And they come to them and they they begin to ask them, what are you doing? And he moves And they begin to instruct and talk with them in verse 21 about what is really going on because they're very concerned. Now follow this in verse 21. It says, Then the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel. Now this is the real important part. The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us for building an altar to turn away from the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. What an interesting, genuine response. Word comes to the Western tribes. Hey, they just built an altar. I think they're doing something terrible over here. I don't think they're observing anymore. I think they're walking away from the faith. All the the, the troops get mustered. They get the heads of the tribes out. They get the leaders out. And they say, we got to go talk about this. You know what's what's really incredible? Is they didn't just tell the army, you know what? All right, grab all your weapons. I know you took a day's break. Uh, You've rested for a short, but now we're going to go kill the other three tribes. Like, this is what we heard. So based on that assumption, let's go. We're going to go do this. They were wise enough to ask the heart motivation question. Is this really what's going on? Do you know how often Christian people assume things about each other's life? You know how dangerous assuming is? All of a sudden you begin to start taking in assumption someone else says, hey, did you know so-and-so was at such-and-such a place? And I even saw on Facebook or whatever, or Instagram, they posted this picture. Oh, my people in the chapel are rebelling. What are we going to do? Muster up the army. Or are we going to go ask the question, what's going on here? Can you tell me what's happening? Don't be so quick to draw a conclusion without asking questions about what the motivation of the heart is. And that's exactly what the heads of these tribes did. Now, you understand the genuine response because they say to him, these eastern tribes say, listen, that is not what we're doing. Because they knew what was at stake. They had been expressed like, well, like in some short order, I think it doesn't exactly say this in the Hebrew. It says, we'll kill you. (laughs) 
Like, we will kill you if this is what you're doing. You know that God said none of this should go on. They said, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. This is not a rival worship center. This is not a place. We just wanted to build an altar for the sake. And they named the altar, the altar a reminder, the altar of remembrance. Now, why would they do such a thing? Well, because they were on the eastern side of the Jordan. Where were they going to have to travel over every single time? They're going to have to travel back over to Shiloh to go to the tabernacle. And you know what they wanted as a reminder to their children and their children's children and people who are long uh, past them being dead and gone and are living on the eastern side? That when you cross this Jordan and you see this altar, let it be a reminder. It's not the altar to sacrifice at. But as you go by it, remember, we belong with this people. Just because we're on the eastern side, we are still one people. And they said, that's all we are trying to do. We're trying to bring an altar of remembrance. It satisfies the elders. They ask the question, and everyone's life who could have been destroyed was spared because the heart was not in a wrong place. Well, let that be a reminder to us principally about a process. As a whole congregation or as individuals, be careful to assume things wrongly about someone else without gathering information. Oh, the Proverbs are so, uh, you know, specific about the, the morsels of slander. Oh, really? They were. Can I see the picture? Oh, yeah, you're right. They're wicked. Anybody ever say to them, have you talked to them? If there's something going on in a believer's lives that is supposed to be something that you got to go and say, what's going on here? I'm concerned. And then they explain it. And they go, oh, I didn't even realize that that's how it would have been communicated. I'm going to take that post down. I'm going to take this down. I'm going to not go here. You see a genuine response as they remove themselves away just because of the love of the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what is displayed right here. If someone doesn't appear to be as careful, go talk to them, draw out what is going on. If you have to, notice the reality. How much does this mirror Matthew 18? Now all of a sudden they bring the other heads of the tribes, the elders of the tribes, and they say, we need to make sure this is confirmation. Yes, we're good. Everything's okay. Go in peace. Assumptions are dispelled. Unification was possible. And God was glorified in the process. We have to be mindful not to rush to assumption. A concern for holiness must be tempered by a desire to love and clarify. But don't be offended just because someone approaches you. Like this happens at times. Somebody sees something and they're, they're, they're possibly thinking, what is going on here? And so they come and say, can you tell me about this? This is what I thought was going on. And they open up and the other person who's receiving that information says something like, I can't believe you would think about me that way. And they're immediately offended. Like, aren't you thankful that someone be come to you and clarify? I am so thankful when people through years say, would say something to me, and this happens through the course of pastoral ministry because you talk a lot, which means you can put your foot in your mouth a lot, and all of a sudden, somebody says, now when you were talking on Sunday, did you mean, oh my goodness, no. Thank you for the way you're so kind and the way you're so gracious. That ought to be the context of the Christian community. Don't be so frustrated because someone challenges you on something. Be thankful that they're looking out for your best interest, for clarity, for unification. Don't be tempted to say, oh, don't make things such a big deal. Or stop looking on Facebook. Like, go to one another. Is this the equivalent of Galatians 6.1? If a brother or sister be overtaken in a fall, you which are spiritual, restore such a one as this in the spirit of meekness lest you yourself are tempted. But go and pray to make sure that you're being careful. It's very interesting that the reality of the story of Joshua 22 starts out with the charge. Be careful 
be very careful to observe all of these things. And the moment that something appeared not to be as careful, they immediately would go clarify what it is because they all wanted to be unified to worshiping the one true God, the one living God who would give them rest, who would give them land, houses they didn't build, things they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't supposed to have, and all for the one single reminder. He is God alone. Holiness matters. Sin is serious. Work hard, Christian, to live a life that is loyal to Jesus Christ, your Savior. I love what Jeremiah says, and we'll end with this. When Jeremiah was ministering, to the dispelled tribe, to the exiled tribes because of their disobedience, he says, and at that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Believers, chapel members, Christians, be very careful to observe all the things that God has called you to observe. Don't turn from them to the right or to the left. Don't just say, well, if I'm unfaithful, God will be faithful. Be faithfully loyal to loving your Savior in a way that it marks your Christian life. And that you will one day stand before him and he can say, I, I saw and I watched how you lived a life that was careful to observe, love, walk, cling, and to serve me. And you didn't veer to the right or to the left. And if you did, you repented and you immediately were restored and unified. Let's be quick, chapel, to make sure that we're gonna follow good biblical principles of even clarification so that we can have unification in every facet of our ministry as we're careful to observe all that he wants us to observe. Let's pray. Father, this is a tall order. Our whole heart, everything in us must not only know the truth and appreciate the truth, but allow that truth to be applied to every single situation of our lives in such a way that that truth is understood as sufficient for everything in, in life and practice for the Christian. Lord, we need you so bad. We need the work of the Spirit to continue to convict us of our sin to draw us to the holiness that we should be living by each and every day. Lord, help us do that. In your name we pray, amen.